All right, here we are, season six, episode five. I guess at the end of this episode, we'll be halfway through the season. That's not that's not exactly uplifting to me. So, like, oh. but I'm sitting here. I got my dual screens going. I'm gonna. I was just watching. Uh, it's pretty disturbing when you. I have it on mute, but I still can play the opening sequence, and then I'm like, ba 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 da ba, you know, uh, and I can even get the extended parts. But it's rolling now. And this episode's called The Door, and it opens with some stitching of leather going on. And I said, what? And then Sansa, for some reason I wrote Mockingbird. Oh, because uh, it was a Mockingbird scroll. I, I put it on two different lines. Uh, very nice. He does good. He, you know, that Mockingbird, he's got attention to detail. He presses that. I mean, I'm sure he pays someone to press his... Uh, Wax for him, if you know what I mean. This is going down to Molestown, of course. I put in parentheses. Weights, sud, low, weights, huh. Weights with his back. I can't read that writing, but it weights something back to the door, and then he turns when Sansa and Brienne come in. And Bullshit Express starts where he's going, oh, so happy to see you unharmed. And she says, unharmed, really, really great acting here by Sophie Clark. Really good. Baelish, for a while, Baelish has a total poker face on. And I guess his total poker face could be his nickname. Because uh, he's a tough to read, you know. Uh, Brienne watches Sansa while she kind of goes through this speech to him. Oh boy, this is, uh, I got, I'm going to have to, look. what does this say? He, she, Sansa just basically says, you knew what you were getting me into, didn't you? And he says, oh no, of course I didn't. And she says, she says, what do you think I've been through? He goes, I can't begin to contemplate. And he says, well, what? And, uh. Rian says, Lady uh, Sansa asked you a question, bro. Get to it. You can't begin to contemplate. Interrupts. I don't know who interrupted who. I think Sansa interrupted him. Brand. Rian, hand on hilt. And then his excuse is, oh, I guess I underestimated a stranger. Made a mistake, you know. And Sansa is a... Not feeling it. And she says, I've been through a lot. Uh, and I, she says, uh, she says, I'm still feeling pain. And I don't mean in my tender heart. I love that line. Beautiful. I don't mean in my tender heart. Also, nice again, the art and the artifice. But very, he, uh, Baelish wears this Mackingburn bed very well. Very nice pin. You know, not too flashy, but nice. Uh, Go back to Moat Kalen. I thought Moat Kalen, I was like, is he already, is that total joke? And then uh, Sansa's like, uh, he's like, what do you want me to give, you know, what do you want from me? And she says, well, I'm thinking about having Brienne, you know, take care of you. And then she says, yo, she says, go back to Moat Kalen. She goes, me and my brother will deal with this. Don't, I don't ever want to see you again. And I say, is this true? Is how it's kind of left. And he says, then he goes to go, and then he pauses. He does this old Baelish, the old Baelish pause, the old Baelish two-step, which is a dramatic pause. 
He says, will you allow me to say one thing before you go? And then he tells her that Blackfish has got the Tully army. I don't even know. I mean, I guess I wish I had a better memory. And I guess one of the restrictions I place on myself is I can't Google anything to make myself look good. I mean, it can Google stuff, but not if it makes me look good. So I'm like, is Blackfish a I don't even know. Was he which old? Was he the old guy? Which was he? Was he at the wedding? Is is he around or is he not around? Was he one of the guys that looks like he should be in the Monty Python? I think that's who he is. He's like, were you in the Monty Python movie? And he would say, yeah, I'd like to be. But she says, fine, black, Blackfish, he'll take you out. Oh, maybe this is when he pauses. The time may become when you need an army loyal to you. And he says, I have an army. And he goes, your brother's army, half-brother's army. That's, is that when he does his dramatic part? Let me check my other notes here. Uh, Blackfish, yes, stop brother's army, stops on his way out at her side. I guess I did Baelish two steps, that was early. Half-brother. Then we have Arya with the girl that never moved her arms, but now moves her arms. And they're having a little duel, a practice, and she's like, at the end, she says, you'll never be one of us, uh, Lady Stark. Uh, you know, after Arya, like, you know, says, says, no, ready, go. What is this? No, ready, go. Half before it's too late. Wait, give up. Oh, she, she's trying to get Arya to give up. Oh, you should go home before it's too late. Uh, sorry about that. But she says, uh, you'll never be one of us, Lady Star. And then Shaqin is watching. And he goes, she, she has a point there, young lass. And then we descend into the lower rooms with the candles and the giant pillars. And we get a little history of the face. Jacquin, or Yakin says, none of the faceless men were born to lords and ladies. They are slaves in Valerian mines. And Arya, first mistake, if she's nobody, she says, well, who's the first one? Who, who started this whole thing? He goes, this is anonymous, Arya. Nobody. But the many-faced god taught, gave him the gift. And then uh, the man taught others in exchange for their service. Many more, many served, many more gifts were given. And soon they overthrew the, the masters and the overseers. Uh, and then the faceless men fled. And she said, where did they go? He goes, here, they're the founded Bravos built this house. It's like this house didn't build itself. Uh, the first faceless man. And now if a girl, now a girl is one of them if a girl desires. And Narya says, a girl has no desires. Trick question. They really liked that part. And then he hands her uh, this potion, talks about Lady Crane. I think Lady Crane might have been one of the G.I. Joes. Or that season, what was that show with the guy from Cheers, Frasier? Maybe that was the royal, Frasier in the Royal Wedding. I, oh, actually, that might have been a piece of fan fiction I wrote. Frasier in the loyal Royal Wedding, the, the tale of Lady Crane. Actually, I didn't write that yet, but maybe I should. But yeah, what happened to Scoots? Was seemingly, he, 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 did Scoots self-destruct when he was making that sleep podcast? 
They say, well, self-destruct's a pretty broad word. He's, he writes Frasier fan fiction. Oh, what's Frasier? What's a Frasier? Well, exactly. I guess you're right. He did dramatically self-destruct. He writes Frasier fan fiction. Well, actually, he didn't even write it. He just writes the titles, uh, Detail of Lady Crane, uh, Frasier and the Royal. They would be more of like one of those thin books, you know. He said, well, I, you know, I started after I watched Frasier, I like to read a little Frasier. You know, those thin books. Uh, but another uh, thing in this uh, thing is like, he goes, the girl gets a second chance. So he says, go deal with this lady crane. She's an actress. There will not be a third. And this episode's a lot of second chance stuff. Uh, a lot of second chances. And we go to the, uh, this play. And it was a bit like a Ren Fair, but, you know, in a good way. Like the good plays at Ren Fairs. You've got uh, some word I can't read. Something in a boar. I think that's whatever that king was, Joffrey's dad, or Joffrey's supposed father. There's sound effects, there's special effects, there's musicians above. Uh, whoever that king was, I forgot his name already, Robert Baratheon, Baratheon. Then Ned comes, Arya's watching it, so we get, and she's dressed up like a, you know, rich person. Ned comes in, the ignorant northerner, he's like a hillbilly. And then Tyrion's there, I mean, an actor playing Tyrion, he's got a scar, that's too early. Uh, you know, I said, uh, what is with this fictional, whatever they call it, I said, that scar's after the Battle of Blackwater. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Robert Baratheon's very gassy. Uh, then we have some some comedy. Like, I mean, there's lots of over-the-top comedy. But then we have Cersei and Ned alone. You know, there's rhyming. Uh, but she says, uh, will you stay as Jeffrey's hand? The Iron Throne is what I demand. I, you cannot. I can. You will not. I will. You dare not. I dare. Yes. And she says, what about the line of succession? He says, what does that mean? The proper progression. What does that mean? The lawful ascension. What does that mean? And then they have this argument and uh, said, but we had a deal all done and dusted. I'm starting to think you can't be trusted. Uh, but then Sansa comes, she tries to spare Ned, Cersei tries to talk Joff out of it. Arya watches, she's getting more and more uncomfortable. Uh, then we had some male nudity, believe it or not. I, I don't know if that's the first time, but I said, well, there's some male nudity. It's the actors, it's the behind-the-scenes, offstage jokes. Rum, Gary... Very rich. I don't know what that means. Rum Gary, very rich. A rum girl, maybe? It's like a very rich scene. Is that what I meant? And then we have Cersei. I mean, Cersei and Jack in. This should be Arya. My notes are incorrect. They're talking. She's like, well, the actress drinks some rum. It's while he's doing a washing, you know. And she says, you think I could get one of those magic faces? He goes, no, no, you're not ready for that. And then Arya's like, well, I want to know who paid. She doesn't do this direct, but she's not very uh, indirect. She says, what about who paid for this and why? Uh, she's very inquisitive. 
because she wants to know who who's up to this. And uh, he says, uh, Jack Hinn says, does death only care for the wicked and leave the good behind? And he goes, it doesn't matter. The price was paid. And then Arya's still on the Agatha Christie kick. Maybe she could be, in, maybe she could be Lady Crane in the tale. The tale of the missing tale, Fraser and the royal wedding, and the missing missing Lady Crane. But Arya's like, well, maybe she's jealous of Lady Crane. And then there's this mysterious scene, or maybe I'm reading into it. He, he says, a girl must decide if she wants to serve the many-faced God. And he says, a girl has decided. And he says, a servant doesn't ask questions. I just really like that. A girl has, a, a girl has, I underlined it even. Then we have Bran and the Raven. They're getting a little history lesson about these stones, these, uh, the children's stones and the trees crying. The children are running. There's red leaves on a white tree and then so, stones in a, like a spirally pattern going out. Children are talking. They're using dragon glass to uh, sculpt the uh, Winter King or the Night King. I also notice this is a big double question mark here. Children have leather armbands, double question mark. And that is in the question. Like, as a double question mark usually means, you know, what, the, what, what, K? Okay. Uh, and then he says, you made the White Walkers. Then we have this drowned god ceremony. And the dude, the priest, I don't like this priest. Maybe probably one of the least liked characters. I don't know why. what I don't like about him, but I don't like him one bit. I dare say I loathe him. More, and more probably stronger than loathing. But he says, who makes a claim? And we have Theon there, who looks very small among these seamen, and but he looks good. And then Yara makes a speech about she makes a claim. Theon watches, and then this jerk face says, "A woman will not lead us." And then Theon has this moment, and there's a pause of what is Theon going to do with this moment? Because the guy's like, "No, no, no, first son gets the job," and then he steps up and he really takes to the room. He, he feels it out. And he steps up for his sister, uh, but with a kind of sad, empty, tired eyes. Uh, he steps up, but his eyes are sad. And then Yorin rolls in. Yorin, I put Yorin Greyjob, but it's Yorin Greyjoy. I think that was that's I think in the next James Bond movie, the villain's Yorin Greyjob. Uh, it also sounds like a bad knack-knack joke, like knack-knack, who's there? You're in great job. Uh, you're in great job, too. Oh, that's just a w fancy way of saying you're fired. Oh, okay, thank you. But when this Yorin rolls in, everybody's like, what? And he picks on Theon because he's a total d d d jerk. And this was a great, this was a line I fixated on. I had to, he, they go, where, the end's like, where the hell you been, bro? We've been, he goes, well, I've been doing stuff. My sister's been taking care of business. And the guy's like, well, I was in town for a while, but I had some things to take care of that were long overdue. I put WTF double question mark. Like what? Visit your old girlfriend or something? Like that's the code. That's usually the code. Like, hey, where the hell were you? 
I had some things to do. Either means you were too hungover to get out of bed or you were you know, with someone. And he said, well, you also didn't want to get out of bed. You're like, well, I'm in bed, you know, with this uh, snuggle poo. I don't want to get out and go to the salt face ceremony or whatever the hell they call it. So, so I like this casting. So I like this actor, but, he, you know, he's not exactly a good guy. And then Theon drops this gallivanting on him. He's, he's Theon's taking all the incense. He's a, insults. He's like, well, you were out gallivanting. Like, he's still trying to stand up to this Yorin. But the Yorin has come back. He's like, oh, gallivanting. Fancy. And I said, well, don't talk to Theon that way. Yeah, you're, I'll show you the Iron Island, man. You're lucky that I'm not on this show. Uh, well, because I'd never go to the Iron Island. I would never go. It'd be like, which sea is the Iron Islands in? Because don't, I don't want to go in that sea because, uh, I don't, you know, don't, don't, don't do that to me. Uh, but I got a podcast so I can talk a big game. I'll show you an Iron Island, Yorin. And then I'll show, you know, then I'll teach you that knock knock joke at your expense. And then you can make fun of me, you know. But, uh, okay, he has an answer. He takes credit. Oh, well, you know, I don't even know what he took credit for. Oh, his great idea. He's like, oh, Yara, I like your idea, but mine's better. It's the same, but I'm going to try to marry the Khaleesi, too. And we're going to go over there and get to Khaleesi and be on her team. And then he says he paid the iron price. He says, I stand and I st- here I stand. And that wins. That's it. Everybody, he wins everybody's votes. I mean, this guy's like the guy running for president a little bit. He said, paid the iron price. I don't remember you paying any price. You were galvanting. And then you were supposed to be there. You said, oh, I've got some stuff to do. Uh, then we have the uh, his uh, baptism ceremony in the presence of the drowned god. Uh, they say, uh, bless him with salt, bless him with stone, bless him with steel. Listen to the waves, listen to the god he, speaking to us. Let the sea wash away your follies and your vanity away. Wash your follies and vanity away. And then they say, you know, then he goes into what is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger. And I made a joke there. Let's see if I I can read my writing, but I can give it to you. Rises again harder and stronger, calling Jon Snow, Onion Knight, calling for Jon Snow. What is dead may never die, but rises again harder and stronger. Telephone for Jon Snow. Did you get that message, Jon Snow? No, no, you're too far north. Okay. Uh, and then the moment after his baptism, it's a really well-timed scene because it's just the right length to fool and confuse us to say, what's going to happen next? Is this a joke? Like, you can't tell if it's where the joke is. You say, is the joke on him or on us? And they say, no, it's no joke, just a dramatic, that's a called a dramatic pause, Scoots, different than a pregnant pause. They say, wasn't that a moment pregnant with meaning, so that was a good, a dramatically pregnant pause? They say, and then David Weiss said, do you know what time it is? How did you get this number? And they say, good night, good night, D- D- can, I call, can, I, can I call you guys DW and DB? And then that's and they said you know, the next thing I heard from their lawyer, but whatever. Um, but I like to see now. That's all I was calling to let him know. 
Then uh, this one had to put a box around it. So sweet. He gets a crown of driftwood. So wasn't that like a folk album? Crown of driftwood. A cat, a guy, maybe that was a Cat Stevens album. T for Tillerman. That was on the B side of that, I think. Uh, crown of driftwood. Oh, then I, I must have been feeling jokey when I was. I said, is that a driftwood crown you're wearing? Excuse me, Yorin. Is that a driftwood crown you got on? Oh, boy. I guess you got some business to take care of. It's long overdue. You see, man, I've, I've, you know, I've never seen, well, one, I've never seen a driftwood crown. And I've never seen a driftwood crown on a dirt bag, but I've never seen a driftwood crown. I've never seen a driftwood crown on a dirt bag ever look so good, Yorin, if you don't mind me saying so. Excuse me, is that driftwood crown you're wearing? It couldn't help but notice the, uh, she said, it wouldn't even, I didn't even know they made wood crowns out of, did a child make that? No offense, is that, that's a real thing. It's not for like Father's Day that you're wearing that. He said, no, this is, he said, so that's what the rule or the, okay, let me just get this straight. You're harder than hard or you're a reaver and you paid, did you pay the iron price for that driftwood crown? Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Driftwood Crown Comedy Theater. Yeah, sir, welcome to the show tonight. Is that Driftwood Crown you're wearing? Excuse me, honestly, I'll just get down here. Yeah, tell me about this. Is that, uh, you look You look royally, royally foolish. Uh, tell us your name, where you're from. Uh, Yorin, Yorin, you're in a Driftwood Crown. But boom, boom. I just made that joke up. I'm not even, I didn't say, these ones write themselves, sir. I said, man, I got to get a guy in a driftwood crown at every show I do. Oh, that's why it's called, oh, I gave him away at the, but you, this one's real, actually. Oh, wait, no, they're all made by children, except for this one. Your, yours is the important driftwood crown. How, now, how, how do I notice that? Oh, because it doesn't have crayon marks on it. Well, thanks, Yorn. Thank you, uh, Iron Islands, everybody. Give Yorn a round of applause. Make sure to tip your waitresses and stuff. Oh, boy. Scoots is on fire. And speaking of on fire, the next scene is Khaleesi, who will be on fire in the next scene after this. I mean, not literally, like she was last time. But she's looking out over the city, and Jorah uh, awaits his fate. And Dario's even nervous. He's got nervous hands going. Rubber worm. What does that mean? Rubber worm. Oh, he's got a rubber worm. I was like, why would I write? It looks exactly like rubber worm. What could it possibly mean? It's like he's got a rubber worm around his neck. Dario. And then the Khaleesi steps towards Jorah. Jorah steps back. She's like, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. I banned you twice. You saved me twice. And then Jorah comes clean. She says, so I can't take you back. I can't send you away. He says, send me away. He comes clean about his, his illness. And then we have a moment here, a moment Jorah's been waiting for. It's very, very uh, emotionally riveting. I mean, I guess at this moment I said, well, Jorah's being honest. Uh, I mean, I guess I identify with Jorah so much because he's just so broken. And they say, you know, the rise of me, me. It's like, uh, but, uh, I don't know. And he makes bad decisions. I guess I get, we got a lot in common, me and Jorah. I'm not an andal, but I have been a vandal, unfortunately. So I guess, yeah.
But she says, uh, he, he says, he comes, he totally comes clean. He tells her about the stone disease. And he says, I'm out, you know, I'll take care of it. But by the way, I am in love with you. Let's be straight. All I want to do is serve you. Uh, but Tyrion's right. I, I'll always love you. Goodbye, Khaleesi. And she says, do not walk away from your uh, queen, Jorah the Andal. Let me see where I look down. Um, oh, there was already a tear in her eye right when Jorah stepped back, like already when she was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. He goes, well, you must get rid of me. Uh, she had this tear in her eye so early. Uh, double come clear. What does that mean? Double come clear. I don't know what that means. Uh, but uh, Khaleesi's lips are pursed. Dario even looks down. He looks at them, then looks down. I notice she also had a ring back around her neck. But she says, don't walk away from your queen. Anyway, she goes, you haven't been dismissed. You pledged yourself. You said you'd command me. Well, I command you to get better. So get back and then come come back to me and advise me. I need you by my side again. And there's just this, these scenes in a row, this one and then the, the two, two scenes. And then, okay, then we have the shot of Khaleesi. Her hair's been done. She looks, I mean, holy mackerel. Uh, Jorah watches him right away, and Khaleesi's resplendent in some, uh, like, a, just a, like a horse riding outfit. Then we have Tyrion in the small council with Varys. And they're talking about the pact and his fragile peace. And like, well, that, maybe that's the best we get. You know, it's a civil war. It's enough for peace. And Tyrion's not having it. He goes, the sons of the harpy have a good story. You know, we get rid of the outsiders. The queen has a better story. Dragons, mother of chains. Mother of dragons, breakers of chains and all that. And he goes, we need to win their hearts and their minds. That's like what he's really saying. And so we got to get a story so that people know that all this piece is from the Khaleesi. And we need someone people trust, uh, someone they know can't be bought or influenced. And it sounds like versus, versus, sounds like a hero. Where do we find him? He says, well, that's, uh, that's exactly it. I don't know about him. Peace is not enough. Uh, then we have uh, Kinvara, the Flame of Truth. The first servant of the god, god, the red god, or whatever. She has the same necklace on. So they call in this priestess. Uh, sorry, I jump ahead, but uh, her name is Kinvara, I believe. And this is just a really good scene. Really good. First servant. She has the same necklace as the red woman. She's standing down. At the bottom of the stairs, her hands are interlocked for a while while Tyrion's talking. Uh, but then she say, he says, hey, I was thinking we could try to persuade you. She says, you don't need to persuade. I came to help. And she goes up a couple stan- stan- uh, stairs. And she says, Daenerys, very confident, very confident woman. Daenerys is a promised one. Free, You know, she's done all this stuff. Uh she got the dragons, a fire made flesh, gift from the Lord of Light. And she goes, but you've heard all this. Remember when you were on the bridge, long bridge of Atlantis? 
And she says, we got a lot of non-believers to deal with. And Tyrion's like, well, we're running more of a polytheistic thing here. And she goes, listen, you want your queen to be worshipped and obeyed and your, her advisors to be worshipped and obeyed. He's like, I'll settle it for obeyed. She goes, I'll get my best priest, most eloquent. Uh, spread the word about Daenerys and this world and in the great war to come. Tyrion's like, this is great, but Varys is not buying it. He goes, what about Stannis? He, wasn't he the chosen one, glorious destiny? Wasn't he the chosen one, the glorious destiny? And then he got taken out. And then Tyrion's like, dude, 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 you're killing it here. Please be quiet. And she, she's like taking his condescension coolly. And because he, he says hey, the whole thing is, is this must be hard for a fanatic to make a mistake. He goes, isn't that the thing about being a fanatic? You're always right. And she goes, well, everything is the Lord's will, but men and women make mistakes. And he says, well, if we can't trust her, how can we trust you? And Tyrion's like, he's a skeptic, but we'll support the queen if you work with the queen. And she says, the, the, the priestess says, everything is what they are, where they are for a reason. Things happen for a reason, just like when you were a kid, Varys. Even honor, even honest servants of the Lord have skepticism. She, she walks, she walks even closer into him. She's smiling. She goes, there's still so much you don't know. And then she says, you know, when you were a kid, did they, should I tell you what God said? She stops real close and holds his arm. And then she looks him in the aisle and smiles. And Varys is just totally in, in shock. Oh, I almost forgot when she says, hey, you got nothing. If we both are working for the same queen, you got nothing to worry about. Or if you're the queen's true friend or something. Then we have Bran. Bran can't sleep, playing in the dirt, just to see if the raven's awake. He touches the root, he goes off to the same tree as earlier in the scene. Before, but it's in deep winter. Uh, there's uh, men around. They look like pine trees. Really good. It's like, is there are those pine trees on the hill? Oh no, those are uh, men. And then there's a good music. And then there's something word I can't read. Crunch. Oh, that crunching sound effect. That's good. And then Bran sees the winter people up close. And everything is just so still. It's amazing. It's just the wind and the snow and Bran. Then we see the Night King. And then he sneaks up. He sees Bran and he touched you. And Bran's immediately back to the Raven like, oh, no, he took Night King. And the Raven's like, he touched you. Bran's like, I don't know. He's like, he touched you. You must leave. The time has come. And he goes, the time for what? He goes, for you to become me. He goes, am I ready? He goes, nope. And you're just like, just like a great job, Bran. Uh, did it too early. 
And then they're trying to get ready to go. Uh, then we have, uh, let's see, my notes, Jan Strigby, an onion, red woman. So John, strategy meeting with onion knight, Tormen, red woman, Sansa. And they're talking about, geez, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, we can't split everything up. We got the Boltons. We got the Walkers. We got to get Winterfell. But we don't have enough men. And then Davos is like, well, these are the all the powerful houses are with the Boltons. And then Sansa weighs in. And then the Onion's like, kind of like, I don't know, Sansa. You, you trust these northerners? She goes, how well do you know the North, Sir Davos? He goes, precious little, my lady. And she goes, well, northerners are different, you know, more loyal, suspicious. And he goes, well, they may be loyal, but how many of them tried to stop the Boltons? He goes, I may not know the North, but I know men. They're more or less the same in any corner of the world. And he goes, if John's gonna, if they're gonna join John, there's got to be a fight they can win. And then they talk about going after the north, smaller houses. Mason's one of the houses, good old Craig Mason's house. And they say, this if if we could get all the little houses, they equal all the others. It starts small and build. And Sansa goes, the North remembers. And he goes, they remember the Stark name, and they'll risk everything for it. And they say, I don't doubt it, but John's not Stark. And she goes, no, but I am. And John's just as much Ned's son as Ramsay is. And she goes, what about the Tullys? You know, we could get the Tullys. And then they're like, well, how'd you hear about the Tullys, Sansa? She goes, well, you know, I got a raven. Ramsay did. Blackfish is back. Even the onions like blackfish, really. That guy's totally badass, you know. And they say, well, this is looking good now. Then Sansa's out and Brian's like, what are you thinking, Sansa? You're lying. And she goes, well, we need more men. And she goes, I need you. We can't send a raven because Ramsey could get it. So you got to go to River Run and go get my uncle and his army. And she goes, I don't want to leave you here alone. She goes, with Johnny, she goes, well, not John. He seems trustworthy, a bit brooding. Suppose that's understandable, considering. The others, though, Davos and the Red Woman, you know, they dealt with Stannis and, uh, and all that stuff. And they weren't there when Stannis got taken out. They were already looking for a better leader. And she goes, that wildling fellow. Oh, I thought we forgot my notes about Tormund. Uh, do I have anything? Okay. I know men. Oh, as uh, Onion Knight said that, the red woman was in the background out of focus. But she was kind of looking sad and off to the side. Sansa was very pleased when she had her no- North Remember info. She seemed very... And I said, that information's from Mockingbirds, not go know any good. But then when her, she goes, I don't know about that guy in the beard either, Tormund. And Sansa says, the wildling fellow with the beard. And Sansa's like, well, he's my brother. John's my brother. I trust him if he trusts them. And she goes, well, why'd you lie? Then we have, like, the leaving time. So Sansa's in a new dress. And they're preparing to leave. Uh, new gust just. Uh, Brienne's on her horse. Tar- Brienne and Tormund and another person are on horses, and Tormund keeps looking over. 
Like, given the smile, it's total comedy gold. He just has this crazy look on his face. Then we have Ed and John saying their goodbyes. And he says, don't knock it down while I'm gone. Don't. And then we have another comedy scene because he says, uh, this this little uh, valet or something goes up to Ned. He says, uh, should we close the gate, Lord Commander? And he says, I'm not the Lord. Oh, yeah, I am. Okay, close the bloody gate. Then we have Hodor uh, packing. And we have this nice little scene with Mira and Hodor talking about breakfast. Because she says, well, Amir says, well, we'll go somewhere that isn't a cave. We'll eat something that isn't moss. So how about an egg, Hodor? Boiled or fried? And Hodor laughs. Says, Hodor with bacon and sausage. And Hodor says, Hodor. Uh, but then, you know, it goes to serious business. The Night King shows, touches the ground. Uh, Brands crossed over. He's saying, watching Ned's. He's saying goodbye to Ned and his brothers. Him and the Raven are watching it, and Brands like again this other theme. Brand, if you have to fight, fight to win. I said, is that Ned? And they're trying to wake up. They're like, Brand, wake up. We need Hodor. And Brand can hear them calling. He's looking at a young Hodor. People are, Amira's using dragon glass. They're on the run. Night King's hanging. The TNZ has come, leave me. Oh, the time has come, leave me. That's what the Raven says uh, to Bran in the, in the, like, in the crossover. And he has such a sad face. And he kind of turns to, like, an ink smoke. And then, uh, like, we hear the hold the door, which is how Hodor got his name, which is, like, kind of sends these shocks across time because uh, Hodor has to hold the door, which we learn is the origin of Hodor, hold the door, hold the door. And in the past, he makes eye contact with Bran, hold the door, and Hodor becomes a hero, a very a big hero by holding the door. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, so uh, let's get to some facts. What do you say? All right, so here's the stuff we, we're going to learn a little more about tonight. And, oh, we got a doozy from a blast from my childhood past that leads down a great road. But we're going to talk about uh, Bravos a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, Leathercraft and the Tandy Corporation. Uh, we're going to talk about driftwood and reclaimed lumber, maybe. We'll talk about, uh, we talked about stone rings before, I think, uh, but we'll, we'll do a little bit about stone circles and cave rings. And if we have time, we'll talk about uh, talking about your third, uh, talking about yourself in the third person. Uh, but let's get started over at uh, Game of Thrones wiki uh, about Bravos, which I thought I knew stuff about, but I either forgot it or, uh, or what. But the first thing on the wiki is a quote from Sir Jorah, who says, Bravos is the strangest, a city not erected by the freehold, but against it, a labyrinth of illusion to hide the refugees from Valeria. After the doom, the city emerged from the shadows to become one of the greatest banking centers in the world. And according to Wikia, Bravos is one of the free cities east of Westeros, the northernmost, richest, and arguably most powerful free city. 
It's got the Titan of Bravos, and the pupil of Bravos are known as the Bravosi. It's one of nine free cities in western Essos. Bravos is unique as it wasn't a colony of Val- the Valerian Freehold. The city was established by a large group of slaves who overpowered their Valerian captors and took control of the ships that were transporting them. Uh, they sought le- refuge as far away from the freehold as possible. Uh, Bravosi histories claim that a group of wise uh, women priestesses who followed the religion of the moon singers prophesied they would find sanctuary in a distant lagoon surrounded by pine-clad slopes. Uh, where a thick fog would conceal the refugees from passing dragon riders. Wow, this is great ancient history I didn't know about. It is uh, such a place that the refugees ultimately arrived and their city began to expand across many islands and mudflats that dotted the lagoon. And yeah, I think in the past we talked about how it kind of looks a bit like, uh, what's that canal city called? Venice, uh... Uh, for more than a century, Bravos remained hidden from the world. Uh, to disguise the Valerian ships, the refugees made a dye derived from local snails and stained the hulls and the sails of the ships a deep purple, and they still continue that to the present day. Uh, fearing capture, they took great pains to keep it existence secret, uh, making fall- giving false information to outsiders when questioned about their homeland. Eventually, the city's elected leader, known as the Sea Lord, sent ships across the world to proclaim the existence of Bravos, an event known as the Unmasking, and celebrated every year with ten days of feasting and revelry. After the doom of Valyria, Bravos rose to even greater prominence, uh, becoming a, the doom always seems to be a, a staple of fantasy, huh? In a good way. Uh, Bravos rode to even greater prominence, becoming a major trade and banking center. The Iron Bank of Bravos became the greatest repository of wealth in the known world. And everyone goes there for loans. Uh, we know is where it is. Uh, uh, locations of Titan of Bravos, Iron Bank, House of Black and White, and the Arsenal of Bravos. We haven't seen that. Uh, Bravos is ruled by a sea lord. I think we talked about that in the past. Or maybe Mr. Tom and Sir Pounce met the sea lord once. Uh, more than any other free cities, Bravos is renowned for its ethnic diversity and religious tolerance. Wow. Uh, since the founders of the city it came from different lands and possessed numerous physical appearances, there's not a set of feature, features that mark a Bravosi ethnicity. This is in sharp contrast with the more ethnically homogeneous free cities, such as Lys and Mir. Uh, because the city's founders worshipped many different gods, it was a decree that all faiths would be honored and no one religion would be elevated above any other. Though some faiths have more devotees and larger temples uh, than others, the moon sing- singers and the Lord of Light. Another defining trait of Bravosi culture is its hatred of slavery, a distant, direct relic of the city's founding. The first law of Bravos, engraved on the arch that rises above the long canal, decrees no man, woman, or child in this city is ever to be made a slave. In fact, uh, Bravos is one of the very few places in Essos where slavery is not practiced. 
Uh, by contrast, Volantis has five slaves for every freed person. Wow. Uh, so that's a little bit about Bravos for y'all. All right, so uh, n- next up is like, uh, so it was, like there's a lot of leather crafting at the beginning, and then we see the results at the end. I don't know if that was embossing or engraving that Sansa was doing, but it starts off with her stitching some leather. And it made me remember uh, getting a leather kit, like a little wallet kit, uh, as a kid one Christmas from my dad. Me and my brother both got kits. They were very basic, uh, make your own wallet. And I thought they were from Leathercraft. And here's, you know, here's some advice. Don't Google Leathercraft in a, on a public computer. Uh, but, but, and then I said, and I thought my dad was getting a catalog after he bought the wallets with like Leathercraft stuff in there. I don't know if beyond like, uh, sewing the wallets together, I did any other crafting of leather. And I don't know what, like how long I had that wallet for. Uh, so I decided to do some digging, and oh boy, once I dug it far enough uh, on Wikipedia and you know fifth, you know fifth Google, sir, you know, <laughs> so deep I dug, but I did find some uh, interesting stuff. To some listeners, I know some listeners will really find this gripping, uh, but but it ends up that the Tandy Corporation was the source, which would become Radio Shack which would then be downfalled by, uh, you know, the, the, the times they are changing. Uh, so according to Wikipedia, the Tandy Leather, which grew into ta- the Tandy Corporation, was uh, founded in Fort Worth, Texas in 1919 and then acquired some craft retail companies, ra- including Radio Shack, in 1963, and then later in... Uh, uh, 2000 Tandy Corporation was dropped and became Radio Shack, and then they sold the Tandy leather name to Leather Factory. Uh, it began in 1919 when Norton Hinckley and Dave Tandy started the Hinckley Tandy Leather Company, and they opened a store in 27. Like first, they were selling stuff to for shoe repair dealers. Uh, and then they opened a store in Beaumont, Texas. 32 Tandy moved to Houston. And survived the Depression and became a firm presence in the shoe-findings business. Uh, then Tandy had a son, Charles, who started working at the business in his 20s. He went to Harvard. In World War II, he went. He was, you know, drafted. And But he, as he spent time overseas, he thought about leather craft. It might uh, offer new possibilities for his grow, sh- growing shoe-finding business. Uh, since the same supplies were used widely in Narv- Navy and Army hospitals and recreation centers, leather craft gave men something useful to do. And it was therapeutic, and it had actual value. Uh, so after the war, they opened two retail stores that sold leather craft. Hinckley was not into leather craft, so he bailed. Uh, so Hinckley just kept stayed in the shoe business. He, he said, I'm a shoe, shoe biz. And then they had their first tanning catalog, which was mailed to readers of popular science, who responded to ads uh, placed by Tandy. 
and it coincided uh, this expanded chain of 150 leather craft stores right around the time the do-it-yourself movement gained steam. Uh, then 15, uh, I don't know, this is a little bit confusing, but uh, they sold new product lines like handicraft products, two stores in New York market, and 16 stores. So they, they kept expanding. And they were purchased in 1955 by a bigger company. Charles maintained control. Uh, I don't know, that's business stuff. But then they acquired uh, Tandy had a landmark here in 61. The name was changed to Tandy Corporation and moved to Fort Worth. Uh, Charles was in charge, just like in the show. Then they started opening these Tandy Marts. Uh, they believed the do-it-yourself movement had gained sufficient momentum to support a new merchandising con- con- uh, concept because uh, they were thinking about electronics. So they founded. Uh, they found he found Radio Shack in Boston, a mail order company. It started in the 20s selling to ham radio operators and electronics buffs, and then they uh, acquired Radio Shack uh, and turned Radio Shack around, and sales went well. Uh, then computers. Uh, Tandy was one of three companies, along with Commodore International and Apple, that started the personal computing revolution in 1977. Uh, introducing a pre-assembled microcomputer instead of a kit, the TRS-80 in 1977 and the TRS Color Computer Coco in 1980 were a line of home computers popular in the years before the PC, and they could be widely distributed by Radio Shack. I think I looked at an ad a while back, uh, and they were like around two grand. In the 80s, Tandy became a PC clone with the Tandy 1000 and the Tandy 2000. While their compatibility was questionable, the models were cheaper than true IBM PCs, uh, more powerful than their older computers because they had 16-bit color. But they met uh, stiff competition from a flood of inexpensive uh, PC clones in the late 80s and became obsolete as VGA graphic cards and sound blaster sound cards in the 90s. In the 80s, though, they were known as the dominant supplier of small computers, and Tandy was one considered one of the greats. Uh, despite selling computers through old-fashioned department store like Sunday newspaper ins- inserts, uh, you know, it's kind of computer history. We don't want to get into it. And then they had Tandy stores for a little while in the U.K. and Australia. In the 1990s, uh, it was acquired by Carphone Warehouse. Because yeah, I remember in their heyday, it was like you could look at pictures of cell phones. They also had Color Tile, which was a flooring store. McDuff Electronics, that's funny. Video Concepts. Incredible Universe, Computer City, Coppercraft Guild. So just interesting from Leathercraft to computers to Radio Shack to out of business. But Leathercraft is still around, I looked up. Or maybe Tandy is. Uh, so you can still buy a wallet kit if you want. Uh, next I was Driftwood because of that Driftwood crown. I said, you know, I, I'm familiar with Driftwood. 
and the beauty of it and usages for, you know, starting bonfires and, you know, you know stick stuff, uh, making driftwood crown jokes. Basically, let's look up, let's see what Wikipedia and other stuff has to say. So, yeah, driftwood is, you know, washed up uh, wood. Sometimes it's a nuisance. Uh, however, it can provide uh, shelter and food for bish, birds, fish, bish, and other aquatic species. Uh, gribbles, uh, shrimp, or shipworms, and bacteria decompose the wood and eventually turn it into nutrients. That goes back into the food web. And sometimes the depo- partially de- decomposed wood, it's interesting that it's decomposed and not just uh, biomechan- or mechanically uh, you know, uh, worn down. Uh, driftwood uh, can shelter plants, birds. It can become a foundation for sand dunes. Uh, most driftwood is remains of trees that has been washed in due to flooding or other occurrences. There's a, a offset of driftwood known as drift lumber. Uh, drift lumber includes the remains of man-made objects, uh, which, you know, see a telephone poles and stuff like that a lot of times. Or drop dunnage or lost cargo from ships, uh, jetsam. Oh, floatsman and jetsam. So dropped cargo is jetsam, and shipwrecked uh, pieces are floatsam, floatsam and jetsam. Uh, erosion and wave action may make it difficult to determine the origin of a particular piece of driftwood, and it can be used for furniture. Oh, the EPA says don't burn uh, driftwood in your wood-burning appliance, so that's a no. But here's where it gets interesting for Game of Thrones. Uh, quoting from Wikipedia, according to Norse mythology, the first humans ask an embla were formed out of pieces of driftwood and ash and an elm by the god Odin and his brothers uh, Billion Bay. Uh, Vikings would cast wood into the sea before making landfall, and the location of wood be, would be an indication of where to build their mead halls. Uh, the wood be, would be used to, the wood used would found the high seat pillars of the new hall. Uh, driftwood carried by the Arctic rivers was the main and sometimes only source of wood for the Inuit and other Arctic populations living north of the tree line until they came in contact with European traders. Uh, traditional Inuit boats, uh, such as the kayak, were fashioned from driftwood frames covered in skins. Uh, the old man of the lake in Crater Lake, Oregon, is a full-sized d- tree that has been bobbing vertically in the lake for more than a century. Uh, due to the cold water of the lake, the tree has been well-preserved. Alice Gray, the legendary Diana of the Dunes, fought to preserve the Indiana Dunes, uh, which contain quantities of driftwood named after her collage Driftwood, and she's made all her furniture from driftwood. And, of course, there's lots of great uh, uh, sculptures you could make in, out of driftwood and driftwood art. And, you know, uh, who else has to weigh in on the driftwood is a real, Realtor Mag uh, at Realtor Mag, realtormag.realtor.org. In an April 2013 article by Barbara Ballinger, when it comes to wood floors, choose wisely. 
you know, just within, as in with ties and hem lengths, wood flooring styles change. Colors can get darker, lighter, planks narrower or longer. Here's some categories for consideration. You want solid plank, which is uh, referred to as real wood because the wood usually ranges from three-eighths to three-quarters of an inch in thickness uh, to permit refinishing and resanding. Uh, thicker floors have a thicker wear layer to allow for more frequently refinishing and sanding so they can withstand decades of use. It can also be stained and come from different species of a tree. Uh, species and price, depending on the preference of stain, uh, you could get mahogany, hickory, walnut, oak, and pine. Oak may be the industry's bread and butter because it eases the staining at a low price. Uh, could run from six fifty a square foot, six dollars and fifty cents. Uh, oh, palette. Uh, you could uh, get dark hues in the U.S. Uh, or in the oh, in the Northeast, they prefer darker colors. In the South and the West, people prefer lighter colors. Uh, but the hottest trend on this time of this article was gray or driftwood. Uh, so there you go. Driftwood's at the top. Of it. it was in and a couple of years ago. And then there's also reclaimed wood, uh, recycled wood from old barn or factory. I think that's, like, really expensive. Uh, it's gained fans because it's aged imperfect. That's like I think people pull down by barns to use the wood. Uh, but the again, fans gives its age imperfect imperfect patina sustainability because you're reusing something. Look, it's less plentiful and takes longer to locate. It offers a solid surface underfoot since it's from old growth trees, and it'll be thicker and. Uh, Thicker than prefabricated, can be laid atop radiant mats and doesn't include toxins. But you're talking 12 to $17 a foot. And there's also this porcelain wood. There's also the manufactured wood, but uh, a new competitor that closely resembles wood uh, has advantages indestructibility, varied colors, and graining, quickness and insulation, and no maintenance. Uh, you can spill red wine on it. Or if there's a water leak, it won't be destroyed. And it's affordable, three fifty to eight uh, eight bucks a foot. Downside, it doesn't feel like wood because it's colder to the touch. And would it be slippery if it was uh, porcelain? Uh, there's also this article about talking about the third person. Now I can't even remember why I wrote that down. Oh, because a, a girl wishes to become a faceless man. It's from bulletproofmusician.com. The article is by uh, Noah Kagayama. And it just talks about, let's see, uh, a previous research has uh, suggested a psychological, psychological strategy called self-distancing uh, can help us better control our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors uh, from enhancing self-control to... Uh, in the face of temptation, to helping us uh, reflect on the past, uh, and without getting stuck in a downward spiral of negative thinking, it might be odd with psychological skill. And it's been researched, according to this article, uh, 
89 graduate students uh, participate in a study which, uh, to give a speech why are they qualified for their dream job with only a few minutes to prepare and no notes in front of an audience of trained judges while videotaped. Uh, so they were given five minutes to prepare their speech, and they were uh, broken into two groups. Uh, First-person perspective group had to use I and my as much as possible, and then the non-first-person were asked how to an- analyze how they were feeling in using you, he, or she, uh, as in why does Pat feel this way? What are the underlying causes of Pat's feelings? So I think it was more about their feelings about the speech. So they were led into a room where the judges were waiting, gave their speech, and then after they were given a short assessment to measure the level of shame and or pride they were feeling, as well as a more general mood assessment. Uh, then they were left alone in a quiet room for five minutes. Why? Well, you know, the drive home from a performance can either be a good, blissful time where you feel full of joy or a dark and gloomy time uh, where you don't feel good. And the experimenters wanted to see what the participants would think after they were left alone as well. So after the five minutes were up, the participants were given a writing exercise and a rumination assessment. I like that, rumination assessment. Uh, designed to gauge how much self-criticism and rehab. I guess this is what I kind of do with the podcast. I didn't realize it, but uh, better all around. Two coders watched the uh, videotaped speeches and rated them uh, one through five, five being the best. In three areas, can confidence, nervousness, and overall performance. Overall, uh, the, the non-first-person folks perform better. Uh, participants also took mood assessments before and after, and the non uh, the first person group felt worse after their speech. The non first person's moods remained stable, and if anything, some felt uh, slightly better. They also reported feeling less shame. Not surprising, the non first persons engaged in less rumination, thinking, i.e., thinking about how bad things went. Uh, after the uh, thing. So there's more in this article about that, but I just thought it was interesting, like thinking about a third person. And then there's this really interesting article that just came out on uh, at NatGeo, nationalgeographic.com. Uh, so I just kind of want to tease it. Since it just came out, you should go and read the article either in the National Geo. I don't know if it's in print or just on the website. I have it on the website here. And it's by Nadia Drake. It came out May 25th, 2016. I don't even know what the date is today. It might be May 25th. I don't know. Let me look. 27th. So, uh, But it, it, the uh, article is, in Neanderthals built mysterious stone circles. Uh, but this is inside a cave. Uh, uh, strange rings found in this cave in France, uh, crafted from stalagmites, are roughly 176,000 years old, uh, scientists reported in Nature magazine. In Nature, I don't know if it's a magazine. Uh, and if the rings were built by a bipedal species, as archaeologists suspect, they could only be the work of Neanderthals, uh, ancient human relatives, or the children uh, ancient human relatives, that was my words, uh, proving to be much more human. Uh, the discovery, quoting the article, quoting uh, Nature, 
uh, quoting Chris Stringer, uh, the discovery provides clear evidence that Neanderthals had hu- fully human capabilities in the planning and constructing construction of stone structures. Some of them penetrated deep into the caves where artificial lighting would have been essential. And the, the article goes on, so definitely read it, but this one last thing. However, why the Neanderthals ventured deep into the darkness and constructed such elaborate structures and is, an, is an enigma, at least for now. That's cool. And we, I mean, we don't even know on the show why, you know, with the circular stones. Uh, but, you know, if you if you know me or you even assume to know me, you know I love stone circles. Uh, I haven't seen any. The last ones I hit up, I think, were Ava Berry or Ava Berry, and that was like at least 10 years ago. And I couldn't convince the car. I don't think I, I wasn't in, it wasn't my vehicle, so I couldn't convince. I would have gone to all, every single site. Of course, this was back in the day where I was like, let's go to a pub and then Avaberry, or there's a pub right by there. Go back to the pub. We'll go to uh, Stonehenge, then go to Silbury Hill or whatever. And also they were like, please, sir, don't kiss and hug the stone circles. But I thought tonight we'd just close out with a list of stone circles from Wikipedia. Stone, and let's just a good touch base here. And this uh, definitely a stone circle is a monument of stones arranged in a circle or an ellipse. Uh, such monuments have been constructed in many parts of the world for many different reasons. Uh, the best known tradition of uh, stone circle construction included uh, across the British Isles and Brittany in the late Neolithic and early Bronze Age. Uh, which uh, over a thousand remaining examples, including Avabar, Avabarry, Avabarry, oh, the Ring of Brogdar, I've never even heard of that one, and Stonehenge. Another prehistoric condition, uh, tradition occurred in North, southern Scandinavia during the Iron Age, where circles were monuments uh, to pa- the past uh, people. Uh, outside of Europe, examples include the 6300 to 6900 BCE, at at Lit Yam at Lit Yam in Israel, in the three thousand to four thousand BCE, Gilgal, Ref Rephaim nearby. There's Bronze Age monuments in Hong Kong, Senegal, and Gambia. Uh, this is an incomplete list of stone circles, though. In the Channel Islands, uh, there's uh, Guernsey, La Plata Mare. Uh, Jersey, Ville is Nuevo, uh, Cornwall's got a bunch, uh, Boscawan, Un, Bosque, Ednan, uh, Craddock Moor, and that's near the min- Minions on Bodmin Moor, half a mile northwest of the Hurlers. I want to go there. And it's got really shaggy grass. I'd like to lie there. Uh, Do, Dolo, uh, Dolo, Ambulance Down Stone Circles, uh, uh, Fernacre, oh, there's the Hurlers, uh, they look good. Uh, the Merry Maidens, uh, I like to meet those, believe me. Uh, nine Stones of Alt- Altarnun, uh, Stan, Stan, Stanon, uh, Tregascal East, also known as the Tregasca, Tre, Tregaseal, Tregaseal Dancing Stones, the Trippet Stones, in Cumbria, 
There's the beer crig. Uh, Brad's Hill. Uh, Castler Rig. Uh, Gamelands. Kinneyside. I got to laugh so hard to hurt my kinney side. Long Meg and her daughters. It's a uh, hundred miles on its long axis. Axis. The low long rig circles. Odendale. I think that's where I was born, Odendale. Uh, Swinny side. Swin side. White moss stone circles. Arbor low. Uh, Barbrook 1, uh, Dole Tor, Hordron Edge, uh, Nine Ladies, and Nine Stones Close. As a creative person, they say, hey, there's Nine Stones Close. Leave me alone. What do you want? There's Nine Stones Close. Uh, there's the Brisworthy Stone Circle, the Gray Weathers Stone Circle, Ringmore Down, Score Hill, Shovel Down. That was a, that's like a, uh, that was a drama of a, di- a digging drama, Shovel Down. Yellow Mead Stone Circle, Kingston Russell, Rempstone Stone Circle, The Nine Stones, because Nine Stones Close was already taken, uh, Dutto Five Stones, uh, the Goat Stones. I think I've had a dream that took place at the Goat Stones. That's near uh, the village of Wark, which I think I've, you know, the King's Men. That looks like they make up the Rollwright Stones. They look, they got some good moss, it looks like. Uh, Mitchell's Fold. Uh, Stanton Drew. All right. Uh, Twelve Apostles in West Yorkshire. Avaberry, I've been there. Stonehenge, couldn't go there. Plus, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't wanted to get close. I don't think you can get close. Uh, Bally, no stone circle. And by close, I mean I'd like to lie on the top of one of those, take a little snooze. Uh, Drum skinny stone stone circle. Uh, Bag Moor. In Ireland, the, in Cork, there's the Ardgroom. Kerry Gagula, Darren uh, Taggart, uh, Drombag, Knock Knack Ela, Knock Knack Ela. That sounds like, like a song. Uh, Glantain East, uh, Temple Brian Stone Circle, and uh, the Bel- Beltani Stone Circle, and Kerry, there's the Kenmar. Some circle the Lissavigin Stone Circle, Shrone Biran Stone Circle, Ty Bagger and Aberdeenshire. There's the Cullery Stone Circle, the Easter Easter something, Kirkton of Boutour Hill Fiddlers. Ancient Field, Lone Hen of Daviot, Lodenwood, Midmarkirk, Old Keg, New Craig, those were two rhyme, the Nine Stains, Potterton Recumbent Stone Circle, the Southlay Lodge Recumbent Stone Circle, St. Brandon Stains, uh, Stritchen Stone Circle,
Stonehead recumbent stone circle. Uh, sun honey. Uh, Tilly Fuar. Tall Mavery. Uh, the Balkan back stone circle. The Colony stone circle. And that's it. There's some more. I'll be linking to them in the show notes. Thanks so much and good night. Okay, Tom, listen. Um, before the before the adventure starts tonight, uh, you spot man, did, are you telling me you did not get your work done? No, 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 no not, not at all. I wanted to give you a, a talisman. I was thinking I'd give you a talisman uh, to take you with you on tonight's journey. A tail, a tail. Sir Ponce, do you know what uh, the podman's saying? Talisman. Talisman. I, I have all the tails I need, podman. Sir Ponce's tail is the only tail I need. It waves with calm bravery. And that is the only ta- tail I need, podman. Well, no, no, Tom. And the, ta- ta- I think it's called a talisman. A talisman, a talisman or something in... Like, uh, usually a, a goddess would give, I think, usually a goddess gives it to the hero. Uh, though sometimes other stuff happens, but I wanted to give it to you since in Louvre, this came from Kelpolina. Oh, wait a second. Uh, Kelpolina sent me a gift? Uh, yeah, she sent you a gift. Uh, oh, what is it, Podman? Um... It's a special shirt. It's a, you know what, you know, armor that, oh, yes, I know armor. They say, Tom, and you will not wear it because it's so, it makes me so tired, Podman, the armor. And I say, I don't like being inside. I say, you know, I don't like being inside. It makes me feel stuffy. Okay, well, well, this isn't, this is a different kind of armor. Good. They call it, this isn't under armor. Uh, but it's 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 a shirt it's a, a shirt armor, uh, shirt armor. Yeah, it's it's a special. See the silver. Oh, these are the these are the shirts you wear, Podman, under your clothes, and then you rip your clothes off and you say, "I'm so hot." Oh, Tom, and you're stressing me out. And then you did by the time we're done. Okay, don't talk about me taking my shirts off. You can't. I can't. You don't. Just that's my private business. I don't like you. Okay. Oh, I'm just—I was just going to tell people that this is the shirt you wear before you take off your shirt. Why do you wear so many layers of shirts? Well, this is a special version. It's not the same. They're called undershirts. And what happened? What happens with me, Tom? And is this isn't my adventure? But I get—you know—I buy stuff and I say, "Whoa! I think this is it. This is going to fix all my problems." These undershirts. Oh, bad man! You do this so often. Yeah, and then I say, okay, let me buy some more. So now I had all these extra gray ones. And so, Kel- but then Kelpolina, she got in touch with me and she, she said, well, I'll make one for time and like the ones you have, Podman, but good, you know, magical, worthy of royalty, worthy of his grace. Uh, really? Why, why couldn't she have given it to me herself? Uh, well, we're over to, so. And she imbued it with magical, it's made of mithril, I think. And it's imbued with the power of Uniclo. See, it says there, that's the symbol of Uniclo or something. I don't know how to say it even. Uniclo. Ooh, this is a magical, so this is a magical shirt. Yes, yeah, so if anything happens in your adventure and you're wearing this shirt, yeah, go ahead and put it on, I'll talk. It'll protect you. Your internal makeup, uh... Uh, Podman, this shirt does not fit me. 
Uh, well, I guess, yeah, because the thing is on TV, you you look like you're my size or a little bit smaller. But, in, you know, in my imagination, when you're here, you're much uh, a different size. Oh, it must be all the chickens I eat uh, when I'm not on the, what did you call TV? What is the TV? Uh, you know, the magic, never mind, the magic mirror I used to check in on you every week. Oh, the magic mirror. The magic mirror with shows that shows us. Yes, yeah, so they put on, you look good, a, a little tight, but it looks good on you. So that's a mithril shirt. Go ahead and put your rest of your clothes back on. Oh, no, pod man, I want to be like you, free. I may just take this shirt off and be free of my shirt, like you are. And then you know when you kiss your tiny muscles and you say, if you know, a sissy, come and see the boys. I thought you were at your singing lesson when I was doing that. Uh, no, Podman, Sir Pounce told me all about it. You remember you kissed your, your, your thing, your bomb, and then you blew a, a kiss to Sir Pounce. Okay, so we got to get to the adventure, but I wanted you to have, and remember, you're going to have an extra layer of protection. And remember all the other skills you've learned, like seeing things through Sir Pounce and all the, I don't know, you know, the other skills. You're really coming along here on this journey. To, you're, you're acting is, okay, just make sure the adventure is worthy of my acting, okay, and my adventuring. Okay, so ready? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, uh, we now interrupt your scheduled, scheduled program for a scheduled program on Cape. Welcome to Cape Ounce Radio. The radio of best friendship and bravery, K-Pounce. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Tom and Pounce and the Adventure to Zelv Discovery. Deep in the jungles of the unknown, our heroes have battled against foes and who've tried to outwit them and take them down. But Tom and Pounce have found the bravery deep within and used their skills to fall, go ever deeper in search of the treasures of self-discovery. But tonight, our hero faces his greatest challenge yet, as they cross over a threshold and up a staircase, and into the heart of the temple of self-discovery. Oh, Padman, that sounds a bit ominous. Our heroes go down a dark hallway, and then... Our hero Tominin Pounce turn into a door, and inside a room, they hear a puppy barking. A friendly puppy. That sounds like it would be a good friend for Sir Pounce. It could be, as long as he doesn't chase Sir Pounce or try to lick Sir Pounce. Well, maybe Sir Pounce... Oh, Sir Pounce, where are you going? Sir Pounce went into the room to follow, find the puppy. It must have been a friendly puppy, because Sir Pounce ran into the room. Sir Pounce! Sir Pounce! is in the room, and now our hero Tommen enters the room. I, I know, I'm entering the room. I'm, I, I'll take it from here, thank you. Uh, Sir Pounce, hello, hello, is anybody in here? I heard a puppy and my cat came in here. Oh, I see a man uh, sitting in the corner of the room in darkness. Oh, and who are you coming towards me? You are an old man. Uh, hel- hello, I'm your friend Ray. You, Tommen, you know me. Oh, your name is Ray. Are you a wizard? We're acting, Ray. Oh, I'm sorry, my friend, Tom. And, uh, hello. Yes, I'm a, I'm not a wizard. I am a, I'm the, one of the keepers of the temple. 
And I have the pleasure of uh, challenging you with your next challenge, my friend. And you know, you're on this journey to self-discovery. Uh, could you make it more, Do you, you know, could you be something more than just a keeper of the temple? Oh, okay. Uh, oh, boy, uh, you're in trouble, Tommen, because now you have to face your greatest fear to get past this this challenge. We've trapped you in a room where you must face your greatest fear. Well, it's actually not. It's the symbol of your greatest fear or the thing. But anyway, Tommen, I'm really just your friend, Ray. I hate to I hate to have to challenge you at all, but I know it's going to be OK. And I know you're a brave young man and you have Scooter's undershirt on. I hope he, I hope he gave you a new one or at least he washed it. Uh, this is from Kelpolina. Okay, Tom, and well, I want you to walk over there. Sir Pounce is over there with you, with someone I want you to meet. Uh, why don't you walk over there? And there's a nice little puppy there, too. Did you, do you see the puppy wagging its little tail? Oh, yes, that puppy looks nice. And Sir Pounce is uh, washing himself next to the puppy and doesn't seem to mind. Uh, hello, sir. It's strange I should find you here because I'm here to face my fear, that man said. But all they see is you're a big man, though. Oh no, I I yes, big man. Oh no, you you you. Oh, you're standing. You're you're huge. You're the, you're the blue. You're the. Ah uh, yes, I have puppy, and you have cat. We could be friends, good friends. Your podman, please make the adventure stop. It's okay, Tom, and look through Sir Bounce's eyes. No, no, this is the blue-faced man. This I can see in his face. I know this is the blue-faced man. Ah, you see me, but you no see me, I acta. I acta. This my puppy, uh, baby Ray. And this your cat? I'd like to meet your cat. Batman, it's, it's the blue-faced man. The one from my home. Okay, Tommen. Good see thing. What is Sir Pound seeing? Pretend you're Sir Pounce. You could do it. And then uh, see, does this mean, uh, just see things through Sir Pounce and see what Sir Pounce is seeing. Does it, so what does Sir Pounce see with this man and his puppy? Because Sir Pounce is still sitting here bathing. So get into the eyes of Sir Pounce. You can do it, Tom, and you're protected by Mithril and Uniqlo. Oh, yes. I can feel it against my skin. It's soft, but it, it it's wicking the sweat away from me, too, Spodman. The cold, clammy sweat is no longer cold. You're surrounded by mithril, Tommen. And, and I think it's plastic, too, but I'm not sure about that. But it feels it feels soft. Oh, okay. I'm seeing Sir Pounce. Okay, pretend you're Sir Pounce, and what are you seeing? I'm licking myself, uh, and I'm seeing this dog who, who looks it's a puppy. That's very not smart. Okay, why don't you even put it in? Not smart. He's not smart, this puppy. And then I'm seeing my my brave Tom and so brave in his new shirt. Yeah. And he's he's looking at the blue faced man, but the man's face is not blue. And he's the man is smiling and holding out his hand gently to Tom and but that is the blue-faced man, meow. I'm confused of why his face is no longer blue, meow, meow, and why he is here, and why he seems nice even though he is the blue-faced man. 
Okay, can I talk to you? Can I ask you a couple of questions, Sir Pounce, while I have you here? Because, uh, no, Batman, you're here to survive, meow. As your servant, could I ask you a couple of questions just to, just to, because I'm so, I'm so, I'm nothing like you and Tom, and I wasn't, you know. Okay, Batman, meow. Uh, why is it, Sir Pounce, why are you so calm that you're bathing yourself and sitting in a relaxed state? I'm sitting in a relaxed state because I'm relaxed and it's time for my bath, meow. Okay, so you chose now is the time for a bath because you said, hey, I got time, I got, I don't have anywhere, I don't need even need bravery. Meow, I have enough bravery to bake a meow, yes, meow. And this looks like the blue face man. And in some sense, it is a blue-faced man, but is it also not the blue-faced man? Is that what you said? I, I'm so confused, Sir Pounds. Exactly. Meow. Yes, I think so. Okay, and he seems to be laughing at all of us in some knowing way, and he's sitting down at a safe distance away from us, even though he he has a gentle look about his eyes uh, when they're not covered in a helm, doesn't he? Meow, meow. Well, should we find out if he's the blue-faced man? You can't really, should we ask him? Or maybe Tommen could ask him, since it's his, it is the adventure. Meow, 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 meow. Um, because, and plus Tommen has that uh, Kalpalina shirt, so he, he... Okay, Podman, I get it, I get it. Excuse me, are you the blue-faced man? Ah, uh, yes, blue-faced man. Yeah, my job is blue-faced man. Uh... Uh, do uh, make on uh, my face, uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty makeup, makeup, right? Makeup on my face to blue face men. Okay, you put makeup on your face to be the blue faced man. Ah, uh, yes. So you're not real. Ah, uh, oh boy, Padman. Uh, not in it, no. Um, Actor here, I actor. My name Gregor, though. So I'm still Gregor. Gregor, I mean, here because it's confusing. I can more I confuse too. But here I'm not blue face man. In fact, I friends with Ray, and I like the Batman too. But he's you know you know the Batman. I do. And what you think of Batman? He's a sad man. Ah, <laughs> yes, he's sad man. This bad man's so sad. He's, uh, he's not, he's more bad, bad kid. You know, kid, bad kid. Yes, he's like a bad kid, you're right. Even like a goat, that's what they call a goat, too, a baby goat. Ah, yes, he's a bad goat. You're right, you good guy, you funny. I like you. What's your name? Oh, I'm, I'm Tom, and w- w- what should I call you? You call me Gregor. You call me the Gregor. And I call you the Tommen. It's cool. Like Ray say, he said, you're the Gregor now. And you could be the Tommen. Or maybe uh, Mr. T. How about Mr. T? Oh, I like that. Uh, Batman, how come you call? You never called me Mr. T? Yes, uh, Mr. T's cool. And you be Mr. T. I'll be the Gregor. It's a 80s thing. With this, I hear you talk Magic Mirror. I like the Magic Mirror. We should watch sometime. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking of blue, I watch Smurf or blue, and we could watch the Smurf, uh, Smurfs, uh, Smurfs. It's me dog, my, my dog here. 
And I think your cat, your Sopounce, right? Yes, Miss Sopounce is my cat, and your your dog is named Baby Ray. Yeah, we watch uh, Smurf, and my puppy gets scared by Gargamel and a bad cat, so your cat would go hiss, hiss, hiss on the Gargamel's cat, Ariel, uh, because they go against the Smurfs who are blue. Well, not blue, they're all blue, not blue face, okay? Uh, but yes, I uh, I guess you pass your test because we're friends now. Are we friends? I I don't. I, yes, we are friends. You are big. Yes, we 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 are friends. I'm sorry. I was scared of you. I thought you were the blue faced man. And I'm still a bit confused. But I know I'm. Yes. I, oh, this shirt gives me. Yes. Let's go watch the Smurf. I like the sound of that, Mister T, the Gregor, the cat. Yes, we, let's go watch that, and we'll leave the pot man here. And your friend Ray, would you like to come with us too? Oh, I'd love to. I mean, I, I, uh, I couldn't. I mean, I do have a little. Yes, I, I love watching the Smurfs with the Greg. Watching the Smurfs is a joy. Okay, so we'll just leave Scooter. Bye, be, be, goodbye, Pod Goat. Enjoy the rest of the adventure. We'll, we'll be, we'll be watching your TV. Goodbye, goodbye. Okay, great. Um, uh, well, that's it, everybody. That was the adventure for tonight. Uh, so just get surface so Tom and faced his fear, and he coped with his fear. He needed a little help, but uh, I know you know help. You 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 try to help Podman. You good go. You good pot goats. You good. You stubborn. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Gregor. Uh, Gre- the Gregor. Okay. Okay, thank you. Okay, no problem. Uh, so Tom and face his fear of the blue-faced man. I mean, I don't know. I guess the illusion is something, but he he did it. So we're proud of him. And uh, okay, and our heroes cracked another code, and now they will journey deeper. But as they leave the room of fears, and Tom and leaves his fears behind. Uh, something is triggered and the walls begin to close. Will they close on our heroes or not? Find out next week in another adventure of Tom and Pounce in the journey to Zelv Discovery. And that's it. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog. It's me. Uh, well, in this context, is Martha... Scooter is playing Martha Plimpton, the character who had a name but is now known as Martha Plimpton. Here, uh, protagonist, I guess, hero might be a stretch. Martha Plimpton's a hero, what I'm saying, me, you know, I mean, I say protagonist, I'll take a protagonist. And Crone, I, I can see, give me that side look that says, you know, antagonist. Uh, I say, yeah, I'm, I'm antagonizer. Antagonizer is different, actually, I think. Uh, but gods, we last left off in our great grand adventure, uh, where we'd set off uh, from our from the goondocks, as we call them. We're all goonies. Remember that. We're not down anywhere yet, but we're goonies. Uh, crone, the sweet sweet crone. It gets confusing, gods. So if you could, if I could just refer to you by your normal, because I always get the uh, casting mixed up. I mean, I know I'm Martha Plimpton. 
So just, you know, if you get, if you guys could keep keep an eye on your role, kind of like a buddy system, crone in your role. Uh, Baker, what's your name? Uh, Jester in your role. Well, that one's easy, Corey Feldman. Uh, Hound, I think you were, I think you're Brand. Uh, you know, the rest of you guys, I think Data is uh, the, the Smith. That makes the most sense. I think that we, but we did the casting two episodes ago, guys, so you should know your parts by now. And there, so there we were, guys, on our bikes. Uh, we, you know, had a run-in with the rich kids. Frank Whaley, I believe, was played the main rich kid. No, no, actually, maybe not, just someone that looked like him. Maybe it was him. I don't know. I'm, picture, I'm picturing him in my head. But uh, can't quite, can't quite, you know, pin it down. I guess the age. I said, well, I don't know if that age is right. You know, he's, he's. I think he was too young. But there we are, guys. Great, great state of Maine. Uh, M A I N E. Just in case, kind of like. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. Probably, you know, where maybe we're staying. Like, like what's it? Where Stannis lived, wherever that was called. Uh, Iron. No, he's not on the Iron Islands. He was the. Uh, you know, Baratheons, wherever they lived, the cold, uh, saltine, saltine shore, Lord Commander. I know you didn't live on the saltine shore, Stannis. That's just my way of saying, you know, the dry saltine shores, the humorless shores of saltine, Lord Commander. Uh, thanks for stopping by, Stannis. That means a lot to me, Lord Commander. Yes, you'll get a per diem. It's not a very good per diem. Uh, what's it like when you're on the bus, Stannis? Uh, Lord Commander. Well, you shouldn't... Uh, I ride the bus, so don't want to... Uh, is that a self-esteem thing, or... Are you just not familiar with the bus? Lord Commander. Yeah, you didn't ever peg me as... You know, I guess because you got that, whatever. Is that blue blood? What do rich people have? Like, uh... That you're not used to riding transit. That's okay, Stannis. You'll get used to it. Believe me, you know, you're not going to be, the transit you're going to be riding, you know, you're lucky that I got you on a loan, Lord Commander. Okay, Stance, I'm in the middle of, anyway, gods, oh, because they didn't make you a god, oh, that's why. Uh, anyway, here's your, you can get your check in, it's on the kitchen table, Stannis, thank you. Oh, gods, he was trying to get in on the, he, that's why he came by. I was wondering why he, he called. Anyway, guys, there we were, headed out for adventure with me, Martha, Martha Plimpton at the lead, looking for certainty, you know, guys. I said, hey, we got to get this rich stuff. And then we line up the old bloom and we do, you know, running into each other. Uh, somebody says, boo. Andy says, I don't know about this. And Brant, you know, he, he, he keeps her close. And then I have to say, everybody calm down like a babysitter, you know, because I'm the middle sister, gods, in this situation. And then we see the old abandoned restaurant. And we go in and, and they say, oh, Jesus, should be right here. I can't remember what exactly. I think the, the stuff was, uh, that's what Mikey says. That's why I got Mikey with me. So let's just under here. It's got to be right where it must be. Okay, thanks, Mikey. And then, guys, it's, it's trickster time, and, you know, because then the Fratellis come. And right as we I think as we discussed, the Fratellis three, I mean, I have about 800 different fears, but I guess they have to represent all my fears. 
And they come in, and I forget how we spun it, but, uh, you know, I have to take the lease. Oh, well, hi, my, hello. Uh, is this restaurant open today? And my fratelli says, well, you know, and then uh, the two two other guys, everyone's trying to act cool, right, gods? And poor Chunk, who I think is the uh, the, the miller, uh, you know, all those carbs, Miller, you got it. But, but so Chunk had the sweet, I think I had the same pair of pants Chunk had in real life. He had them in a movie. Turns out you can only pull those pants off in a movie, those plaid elastic waist pants. But, yeah, I know I did have those pants. They were also high waters, elastic waist, uh, high waters, and plaid, and polyester, all in one. All in one damaging blow to my self-esteem. The self-esteem episode, uh, Gods and the Goonies. Uh, but so then, guys, we play. We go back and forth with my three fears. Will we be caught? Uh, should we turn back? You know, those they say turn. They, they, you know, I'm trying to demetaphorize it a little bit for you, since you didn't see. I don't think any of you got back to me on my other memo. Did you see the movie yet? Uh, so you know, Ma Fratelli. I guess she represents the fear of. Uh, I'll figure it out as we go along. You know, she's the menacing, menacing one. Then the uh, the Enrico Palazzo style guy. He's more. Uh, oh, maybe he's enticing us with his opera singing thing. Uh, but you, you know, you say, "Well, I don't trust him. I don't trust things are going to be okay." And I know, guys, the one unresolved question for me is, "Why was all that ice cream in there?" I think it was because that's what. Uh, actually, I'm not positive. Why was all the ice cream in there? But Mikey sneaks off. Mikey meets uh, Sloth, I believe. Uh, but then we got the three fears, doubt, uh, I guess the need for certainty. Maybe that's the mothering menace, you know, that Ma Pertelli represents. Like, oh, I need my certainty, but she's so menacing. I need a mother's certainty grown. Uh, I need to know. I'm on a need-to-know-everything basis of how everything turns out. And then, I don't know, maybe the other brother represents unrealistic expectations, or maybe that's Mikey's fault, you know. Oh, we're going to find the rich stuff, One-Eyed Willie's gold, and all our problems will be solved. Actually, I think that's how the movie ended, but that's fine. It's not, I know I know that it's not going to happen, Crone. But so we deal with the Fratellis. They menace us, and we escape through the fireplace. We I think we try to sneak out, but then they know we're there. Or maybe they don't know we're there, but we're in, we, we cross over into the world of pure adventure. Come with me, Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, uh, uh, Hound, and the Jester. Under the flu, we won't be blue as we search. For the first person we find whose name was Chester, uh, booby traps, you know, they, they'll, uh, we've got magic, you know, old wrinkled maps, and we're looking for one-eyed Willie's gold. We get close, but then we face uh, our fear in... 
It's which is triggered by my over-imagination. Uh, to turn back, to go forth, we are froze. I am frozen in something around me, blah, 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 dash, looking for some validation. If I could, I would say I'm feeling exasperation. What is this? Chunk still back there? We'll send him to secure mediation. Hey there, gods. What do you think of my rhyming? Does it meet all of your expectations? So Chunk goes, that's you, Miller, and we pass another boundary of adventuration. Uh, everyone's nervous, and, you know, as Marcel Plimpton, I have to lead and manage, uh, I can't reuse expectations, so I'll manage, and I can't, you know, to calm all the perspiration. Uh, so we go, uh, then we're fro, and then we find a sparkling pool of, uh, uh, currency, gleaming, blingolation. This will probably wake some people up, God, so I should probably cut it out, you know. I, I wasn't singing, that was more, that was sing I know, Crone, it was sing-songing, I'm busted. Uh, but now we're somewhere else, God, and we're in a pool full of change, and this is a symbolic, important point here. I don't know if it's the midpoint of the story, uh, for us, it just might be. Uh, but, but this offers the most dangerous thing for me is Martha Plimpton, gods, because it's not a... Uh, you know, Mikey was more adjusted than me, probably from all the... Uh, for, you know, I don't know, from being the youngest. and But for me, guys, this represents the great tolerance zone. You know, rich guys come to rescue Andy. Uh, we could probably scrounge up enough change or the cold... Crone's grouchy. Hound dog criticizes everything I do. Jester keeps tripping me. Smith doesn't like any singing. Barky is, you know, I don't know, Barky. Anything. I could get anything out of you. One word, please. Uh, but then we realize, guys, that this is a great tolerance zone. We have some certainty. Uh, that that would now have a tolerable result. We could take all these quarters and probably wouldn't be able to help our parents with the goondocks, but uh, we'd have a symbolic victory, gods. And we have a choice why go further, what, what, you know, further into our fears. The Fratellis could be behind us. Uh, Chunk could, you know, the Miller could be fine. Should we go on? And dare the unknown, why would we, guys, when we say, hey, we got some quarters here, water's not bad. You know, we could get out of here, we could go get some help, you know. And just go back to our regular life, guys. It's, and it's not like giving up. If it was a back at the beginning, that would have been giving up. But we've had an adventure. Right, guys? It's like, and we're tired, haven't had a snack. Uh, data's out of magic stuff. No, he's still got a couple tricks up his shoes. You know what I'm saying, gods? 
We've been tested, but we really haven't been tested. All our doubts are bubbling to the surface, gods. Gods, this is what I need you. You know, some divine intervention time. But, you know, we could escape, or, or could we? And that is the question, right? And most people know the speech Mikey made, which I don't. I just know what down, you know, these dreams belong to somebody else or something. And then, you know, my mouth says, this dream, this dream's my dream right here. I'm taking it back. I'm taking them all back, gods. But really, if we if we don't forge forward, we're really taking our dreams back and we're taking them back home and, you know, cry, you know, to our crying pillow. Also, guys, don't share that I have a crying pillow set aside for, you know, because please don't. Um, so that's when Mikey, but in this case, I say Martha, you know, as Martha Plimpton, I say, well, she's uh, good speech, Mikey. But I think about, uh, you're, I guess you're right, Mikey. We need to stay. This is our time. We need to live in the moment. Holy moly, this kid is wise beyond his years. And has a fully buttoned-up jean jacket ever looked better? Or well, no, you're the only. This is the only time it's ever looked good, Mikey. Uh, you know, so you're right down here. It is our time. This moment is our moment. Out there is all the stuff Mikey said, and it, you know, we, if we don't keep going, who's going to keep going? You know, all that stuff, but you're right, God. You're right, Mikey. Mikey, which God were you again? Not the crone, or are you? I, I, I forget. Uh, uh, but you're right, God. I'm so glad I talked to you. I can't turn back. I got to keep going, you know, into the unknown, which I'm so terrible at. I'd rather just get, you know, this is a pool of radiance, as they say. And I could just get out of here and, and, and get over it. It'd be like, well, we had an adventure, you know. And then I went back to my regular life at the goondocks. Uh, but when you put it like that, Mikey, you know, down here our time versus go back to the goondocks. And you say, well, geez, we got kicked out of the goondocks. That's it. Uh, you don't get, was there ever a group of kids that called themselves the goondocks? So, yeah, guys, we're going to have to forge ahead into the unknown Past the point, we passed the point of no return, but this is definitely another point of no return. I don't know, or more of a point of like, we could give up and we're not going to. We're going to keep going. We're going to forge into the unknown as a team without, you know, to Chunk. We, you know, but Chunk will be back. Don't worry, guys. And that was some comic relief. We didn't have time for it, but I'm sure Jester. You could provide that. So, yeah, God, thank you, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God. Uh, thanks for helping me wrap my brain around that one, and I'll just keep going into the, you know, I don't need certainty for what a certainty offer but a return to the goondocks. And, you know, the foe saying, well, I tried. You're right, Mikey. It is our time. It's my time with the Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog. Good night. Thank you. And you go, I'm at a, a store that sells different kinds of grass. I always thought there was grass, and I knew there was blue grass and a, a, a Bermuda grass. Uh, it turns out there's a bunch of different grass. There's E&R grass. That's the grass with the strong roots. Uh, Daniel L. grass. Uh, I think that's uh, like a waxing, waxing on grass. Arthur C. grass. Uh, but not of the sea, of the land. 
uh, Johanna R. Grass. Uh, that's, that's a nice grass that riffles in the wind. Maureen B. Grass. Uh, that's a grass that's easier to mow. Uh, Leslie A. Grass. That's a grass they say, well, it's not green and it's not blue. It's, it's blue-green. Uh, Allison M. Grass. Yeah, that's from the Snodgrass family. I was waiting. I said, is there any Snodgrass anymore? Uh, Brian R. Grass. That's a grass. It's kind of a, like a more of a straw color, but it's a grass. Uh, Management M. Uh, grass. That's a grass that manages itself. That's a good grass. Annie E. Grass. That's that's a grass that you believe in. That they say, oh, it's this that you hold up to your thumbs, you can blow, and it makes a sound. Uh, Robert H. Grass. That's a grass that looks best on those rolling hills. Uh, said it's a grass. If you got a hill, this is the grass for it. Uh, Sally M. Grass. That's the top grass for a picnicking. We voted 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. But Laura B. Grass, that's the best grass for thinking, lying and thinking. And then the Austin Y. Grass, that's the best grass for cloud watching. So a lot of good, good grasses here this week. As those are all grasses supporting on PayPal. And then they get these other grasses. These, these, these are these are grasses that actually the Wi-Fi connected via email. Alexandra M, Allie H. These are all different blades of grass that have emailed me. I'm thankful for. Uh, B H. Uh, Summer. Uh, Jonathan M, Jen with two N's. Uh, Henry and his friends who did a sleep with me, uh, sleep with me parody, sleep with me parody, or sleep with me like remix, or uh, Jillian C. These are all great. I can't believe all this grass reached out to me. Lizzie F. Uh, Lizzie F. Avery E. Who suggested said some lovely stuff about the podcast and 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 didn't even let me know, but I found out. Thanks, Avery. Lisa P. Another. Nice grass got a hold of me. Christina S. Uh, Rachel N. Another person I got. It. Lauren S. Uh, Chaz W. Uh, Josephine. Uh, Kim S. Raina. Uh, Raina. Uh, you reached out to me. Megan. It was all nice grasses. Uh, Nora, Tiffany, uh, Daniel, Aaron, and Cole, uh, Wendy, Summer. This is two summers, believe it or not. Two summer grasses emailed me. Lisa, Amanda, everybody Ahab's wife. Cinnamon, cinnamon grass. I, I wish that was my name. If I was, if you, if you ever saw me, I guess if I, when you see me in drag, call me cinnamon grass. You say why? I said, I don't know. That sounds great. Cinnamon grass is the name, 
and uh, yeah. Uh, Sarah, uh, our old friend Sarah, thank you. Michael H., uh, had a happy birthday. Thanks, Michael. Uh, our buddy Graham, thank you and good night. Denny, our buddy Denny, thanks and good night. Sarah, so many grassy grassers that support the show. Renee, uh, thank you. Jennifer D., uh, Reagan. Uh, uh, Jennifer the Birder, our buddy Beck, uh, Meg S., thank you, Joseph, thank you, uh, Carol, our good friend, and that's it, thank you so much for all the support, Grass, uh, and the not support, you know, the absorb, you know, Thanks for all your good properties, and you know, I want, thanks for not, thanks for your non-good properties too. I mean, no thanks, but thanks. You know, I can't just insult you. So thank you, Grass.